to Season 2 of Granite State Golfers with Micah. I am an avid amateur golfer in New Hampshire. This podcast dives into the stories of the top amateur golfers in my home state. We are about to tee off. Please join me. Hey everyone, welcome back to Granite State Golfers. Today's show features Harvin Groft. I've been looking forward to having Harvin on the podcast. When I first joined the Oaks five years ago, I began hearing about Harvin and what a good player he is. And as you will hear, what a nice and thoughtful person he is. We cover his early years in golf and his time playing on the Penn State team. And what I found to be a truly remarkable part of his golf journey is he tells the story about taking eight years off from golf after college and what it was like to pick up a club again at the self-service range in Newmarket, New Hampshire, and shortly thereafter playing in the New Hampshire Mid-Am. Spoiler alert, he did well. Harvin talks about the importance of practicing three-footers, and he shares wonderful insights about the mental approach to golf and how what we learn on the golf course can translate to life off of the course. A couple things about the episode. Harvin has some young kids, and you'll hear them a couple times. And also, this episode is a bit longer than normal because we dig into the Oaks a bit and discuss why it is one of the best tests of golf in New Hampshire. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Harvin, welcome to Granite State Golfers, and thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Micah. It's good to be a part of it. I when you first when you asked me, and I went and re- did some listening to the podcast recently, and you've had a lot of great players around the state on the podcast. It's it's nice to be part of it and be included with that list of names. It's on there already. Well, you're getting, the, you're getting the who's who around the state. Well, thank you. And I'm super excited to talk with you today. Um, let's go back in time. You know, where did you grow up? When did you get into golf? And what other sports were you playing when you were a kid? So the story I've heard from my dad is he wanted to go to the driving range and be able to play golf. And he couldn't go without taking one of the kids. So I was on the driving range when I was three years old, which is about two years later than I've been getting my kids started. Some of them have been out there at six months sitting and watching me practice. But uh, yeah, I started at three and probably played my first tournament when I was eight. And this was in this was in New Jersey and Virginia and did some kids camps. But then we moved to Arizona when I was eight and started playing tournament golf out there at 10 and tournament golf in Arizona at 10 is just so different than the East coast. It was like, so people are so committed and intense. So very early on, like carrying like the nicest set of golf clubs. My dad tells this story where he remembers like going out to the, to the 10 and under division tournament. And I had like this set of ladies golf clubs that were cut down to my size and, hand-me-downs and then there's all these kids with like brand new ping i twos and and he's just like what is this what am i getting into and so that's i learned a lot about golf playing out there for the next till i was 15 got beat up a lot and did not every time i started to get good enough in my division i'd have to move to up in the next age division and i was just getting slaughtered by people out there but then we moved back to the east coast when i was 15 and continued playing golf out here and I played a lot of different sports growing up but then at about 15 I decided I really wanted to play college golf so I just played golf from then on and 
kind of made my own commitment and practice schedule and worked hard to get into college and play on a division one team. When you moved back East uh, to finish your high school years, where, where was that? Yeah, we moved to New Jersey, but we were only there for about a year and a half. And then, so that was my sophomore into my junior year. And then the middle of my junior year, we moved to Pennsylvania and actually moved into the town that Penn state is in. So I finished high school in that town from the second half of my junior year and my senior year. And how did you have a, how was your high school team? Were you guys, did you have a good team? Were you guys competitive? So I started high school in Arizona and my team, when I was a ninth grader, I was like a two handicap and I barely made the team because the starting five on that team was consisted of people who ended up winning the U S junior am full scholarships to college and golf works, full scholarships aren't common. Multiple guys who played on tour. One of the guys ended up has has won on tour, and it was probably it was considered one of the best teams in the state or in the in the country probably for a high school team. And then my high school team that I finished on in high school was like if other guys if guys could break eighty that was great. It was, so it was a pretty big contrast from Arizona to Pennsylvania in terms of yeah. depth of high school golf. But yeah, so you we were okay. On- we, we competed in our district. We, I think we won every match, but then we lost our district. Okay. We finished second in district. So you go on to Penn State to play college golf. Um, how was the team at Penn State? What kind of, what was your handicap and what kind of scores were you shooting in college? Yeah, going into college, I was about, I was probably a plus one or plus two. So the year before I got there, the team had made it to NCAA finals and made the cut in NCAA finals. And that had only been done maybe two or three times in Penn State golf history at that point. So and one of the guys was an honorable mention All-American. So the team was really strong as I was coming in. And then my freshman and sophomore year, the team wasn't so great. We, we, We made regionals my freshman year. My sophomore year, we did not even make regionals. My my roommate, my freshman year started freshman year. I didn't get into the lineup until the end of freshman year. And I played a few events at the end of the year. And then I didn't really miss, but maybe like two or three events the rest my sophomore through senior year. And so then my junior year, we it was when we started to flourish. Like we won a cup, we won a team event. We started to get some other freshmen in that were really good. And our team was picking up. And then my senior year, we really we started to click, and uh, we had five we had five guys who were all really solid. I was playing number three. Our top two guys went on to play. One guy had his PGA Tour card. A guy played a lot of Latino America. We were ranked as high as like sixth in the country in the fall. We had won like two events back to back, and uh, we made regionals and we made NCAA finals, which was a big accomplishment. And, uh, our coach still has said that we were one of the best teams he had coached. So it was a pretty exciting time. We had a lot of fun that senior yeah. year. I bet. Wow. That's impressive. Now I was doing some reading about your, your background and do I have it right that when you left Penn state, well, you graduated in 08. Yep. And after you graduated, it sounds like you stepped away from the game. Yeah, I had an internship with the Western Pennsylvania Golf Association out of college, and I did that for the season. 
So I helped run golf tournaments and administration. And then I was just ready. I just didn't see that I was going to be able to like compete competitively at the level I wanted to, which looking back, this was certainly not correct. I like just thought I had to be able to play every, I had to be able to practice every single day the way I did in college to have any chance to like compete or have fun. So I just decided I was going to move on. I was going to try a lot of other things. I I remember this thought in my mind that said, I didn't want to look back on life when I'm 65 and say, all I ever did was play golf. So I went on a lot of different places. I did um, some AmeriCorps terms, which is like a domestic version of the Peace Corps. Yeah. And I served with working with inner city kids in Pittsburgh. And we like grew, grew vegetables on vacant lots in the city, which is got me into like growing food and uh, which I still do regularly today. I've worked on farms off and on since then. And then I decided to just like backpack around. I got rid of everything I owned except what could fit in a backpack. And I hiked up to Vermont and worked on a farm there, went out to Hawaii and worked on a farm, did a seasonal job in Montana doing public lands work where you like basically lived on site in your tent. So I ended up living in a tent more days in 2012 than I lived like in a formal structure. Wow. And uh, then I moved to Maine after Montana, which would have been in 2012, December, 2012. I moved to Berwick, Maine and settled in here and got a job on a farm and worked on a couple farms in the area for quite a long time. And that's how I kind of met my wife. I met my wife selling beans at the Rollinsford winter farmer's market. She was playing <laughs> music there. And uh, then we progressed and entered and got married and had kids. And the summer, the month before we got married was when I like picked up a golf club again in 2016. Uh, I was running a garden out in Stratum and I would drive the road through Newmarket out to Stratum. And, you know, there's Rockingham Country Club out there yep. and there's the little like self-serve driving range. Yep. And so one day I was just like, all right, I'm going to bring my clubs. And I just decided to like stop at that self-serve driving range on the way home and hit golf balls barefoot out there, took my boots off. Like I didn't have golf shoes or anything. And uh, then I was like, oh, maybe I'll look in and see and looked at the NHGA and saw what events they had around and said, all right, I'll sign up for the Mid-Am in the fall. And I was going out to Stratum twice a week. So I started going at 5.30 in the morning. I would play 18 holes at Rockingham twice a week. And I did that for the summer. And, and then I finished fifth at the state Mid-Am. And so then I was exempt for the state Am and, had enough points to get in the players. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll play a schedule next year. All right. So, all right, we're going to pause here. There's a couple, couple things we got to follow up on. So what brought you, why, why Maine? Why did you move to Maine? So at that point I was still, it was, I was still just me in a backpack, like bouncing around the different spaces. And, uh, I had a girlfriend in Montana and she was from Maine. And I was like, I've never been to Maine. I'll go check out Maine. Why not? Like I didn't have anything else set up of where I was going. So I came to Maine and like the first day I was in Maine, I was in the Rollinsford winter market. I have a lot of connections to that market, which is cool. I actually saw my wife that first day I ever walked in there, but I didn't end up talking to her again. I didn't end up meeting her for three more years after that or two years after that. Wow. But then I met a guy, I met the guy who, was, who had the bean farm in South Berwick there that day and talked to him and got a job with him and, that settled me into Maine. Okay. Now, the other thing I want to follow up on is you, 
that first day that you go to that little self-service driving range in Newmarket, you take the boots off, you're hitting balls barefoot, yeah. you haven't swung a club in sounds like a while. What do you remember about that range session? What did it what did it feel like to be hitting balls again? Well, honestly, I, I don't remember a ton about it. I remember that I took off my shoes and it was just like, it was just a relaxing thing. There was not much care. I was just like, oh, I'm just, it was, the sun was going down. It was late in, it was late in the evening. It was just no intentions, just casual, quiet. You know, nobody was there. It was right. peaceful space. Yeah. And then it's also crazy. I mean, crazy for me to hear so you you've taken this time off you look into the nhga you sign up in the mid-am you haven't played competitive golf in several years and you come in fifth so it came so clearly your your prior you know all the high school competitive rounds your competitive rounds in penn state like you must have been able to tap that reservoir of experience for for to be able to do that well after some years off yeah, I, I can remember. I can remember a good bit of that tournament. I was playing with a, a guy I believe his, his name was Scott Hoyt. We were just a twosome. We were just having fun, and uh, I remember thinking about one shot at a time, which is just like you know that common cliche. But it's the most important thing you do in golf is be present, be focused yeah. in one moment at a time. And my cousin. My cousin Donnie is, was a teaching pro for a while, and he had been living up here, so I've been working with him on some things while getting ready for that event. And just, yeah, I mean, I was settled in. Him and I were having a good time, and I played a good first round. I had the first round lead. I remember that. Wow. I remember, like, everybody being like, who is this guy? We've never met him. Who is he? Like, I... <laughs> But, yeah, That's and then I, I think I shot, like, 75 or 6 in the second round, and then – I had a decent round going in the third round, but then I had a triple bogey on like the 16th hole. I wasn't really in competition for winning, but yeah, I was somewhat, I was at least in the top 10. I knew I was finishing somewhat decent. Yeah. It's a, well, that's a good return to competitive golf uh, and into the, yeah, it was nice to get it exempt for the state and the next year. And just like, I don't yeah. really know what I would have done if I like had finished like 15th or 25th or something. I wouldn't have had like I wouldn't have been in the players. I wouldn't have been exempt for the stadium. I don't know if like I would have said, "Oh yeah, I want to play a bunch next year." But that that launched me to being like, "All right, I'm going to play a full schedule next year." Yeah. Well, now you're you're uh, for those who follow this stuff, you're it, that that introduction to your name in the New Hampshire golf scene was big, and you've been a, a big fixture in the scene since then. Let's talk about the stadium for a minute. So you've played in the stadium since that time. Um, you've, you've done well in the stadium. Um, I was trying to locate like what, what has been your best finish so far in the stadium? I went to the semifinals. I lost in the semis in when it was at Nashua. So uh, what year was that? I don't know. Two or three years ago when, um, when James won it. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I went to the semis and that year was, People were all excited that year because I played William Wang in the quarters. And everybody thought, like, he was a lock to win. Like, nobody thought anybody was going to beat him because he shot 63 at Rochester. Right. And everybody was all hyped up about him because he had – potentially he was going to Stanford. And so we had a pretty good crowd following us, and it came down to the end. Like, 
I had been kind of, I had had the lead on him most of the day in the quarters. And then on 15, it had got squared up. Maybe it got squared up on 14. I can't remember where it got squared up, but then he made a birdie putt on 15 to take the lead. And then we both missed birdie putts on 16, but then on 17, I made like a, like a 20 to 25 foot putt. It was like downhill breaking right to left. And there's a pretty good crowd around. I can still remember my caddy like looking over and his hands were above his head. He was clapping. It was, he was pretty excited. And then my miss had been left all week. I had been hitting ugly misses left. And if you know, 18 at Nashua, it's all road and OB left. Oh, it is. I've, I've been OB there before. So my caddy's just like, Harvin, just keep your hands relaxed. Just keep your hands loose and let it go. And I just piped it. I hit like my best drive of the week. And then William hit two balls out of bounds and that was over pretty wow. fast so yeah, um, we'll, I got we'll, get in, we'll get into some other tournaments so you've been to the semis in the state am I, I am i right in assuming that winning the state am is is on your goal list that as you look at think about tournaments yeah absolutely yeah and this year it's manchester i think yes correct yeah. So you've won the Players Invitational. Some may not be familiar with that tournament. Explain the format for that, and how do you get into the Players Invitational? Yeah, so the criteria, I think, has been altered a little bit here and there, but essentially you you can get invited to it based on points you earned from the previous year. So playing in events throughout the season, you accumulate points on how you finish in each event, and... I think they invite the top 40 and it's like the first so many people to sign up can play in it. And it's a 36 hole event at Baker Hill. It's basically like a huge reward for playing a lot of events because there's no entry fee. You get wow. two free rounds at wow. it, arguably one of the best, arguably the best course in the state and yep. first weekend in June. And it's a good, strong competitive field and people just enjoy being back out. It's kind of a, there's some there's tournaments in May, but that's kind of like the first big event of the year. Yep. And you won that in 21. Yes. Yeah. To win that tournament against again, the the arguably the best. That's a very strong field you're playing against. Yeah, it was a, it was it was nice. It felt good. Like I look back on that that second round that I played there and think about what I did well that day fairly often and use that as like, okay, let's remember those things. Like what were you doing? Well, that yeah. led you to play that well on that golf course. Right. Cause I think I shot, I three putted the last hole to shoot two under par for the day. And it was the only under par round of the weekend. And I think partially because it was a very windy weekend. Um, you've also done well, certainly I think more than a couple Top tens in the mid am. I know. I think last fall up at Owl's Nest, you were I don't know T six or seventh. Or seventh something. Yeah, I think seventh. Yep. How do you like the format? You know, when you think about obviously the stadium, you got to well, many golfers have to qualify, and then you got to get through stroke play to get into match play, and then it's a long match play and mid am's. You know, fifty four holes. And do you? as you get ready for those two particular tournaments with different formats is, do you approach it differently? I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that I do. Um, I, yeah, it's to me, it's still, it's, it comes down to the same things as like, do I do the things that I do? Well, like I can't, even in match play, there's, 
people talk about these different mentalities of approaching match play and paying more attention to the other guy, but I haven't found that that works for me. It's like, no matter what, no matter what format I'm in, I play my best golf when I enter into this certain state of mind and I'm focused in my space and I'm staying focused on my course management and what I do well and playing to those strengths. And it's just a matter of putting it, putting it together that day and seeing where it stacks up against other people. Yeah. Whether it's state play or match play. Yep. Um, let's talk about the Seacoast Am, which for golfers in the Seacoast is an old and very serious and competitive yeah. tournament. Um, you won it in 20, T2 in 21, third in 22. So you've done really well in that tournament, really strong field, interesting format, rotates for those not familiar, rotates courses. Uh, so it's a three-day tournament at three different courses um, in, in the Seacoast area. That I've played in the Mid-Am a couple times, and, and I've played in the Seacoast Am a couple times. I, I played in it last year. Um, and so day two uh, was at the Oaks, which we'll get into the Oaks. You and I both play out of the Oaks. Um, you had an unbelievable round at the Oaks. You shot 67, I think, with a, a, an unbelievable back nine with a lot of birdies in your last six or seven holes. One of the only rounds under par on that Saturday. Um, so we'll get into the final round. But so you, when you saw the rotation, you must have been excited that there was, you know, that it was coming back to the Oaks for a round. Um, I remember it being hot, and I remember the greens, the you know, the greens were extra oaksy. Yeah, they were fast. Um, but tell me what you remember about that second round at the Oaks. Yeah, I remember the greens were fast. I kind of got into a rough spot on number two. I like fan, so I parred one, and then I like fanned a wedge into that bunker, that front bunker on two. It's just like, oh my gosh, you're gonna pop a, and the flag is like back towards the back of the green, you know, and it's like, so, but I hit a bunker shot to like five, six, five feet or so and made the putt. And then I made like a 20 footer for birdie on the next hole. So it was like, I was in a dicey spot where it could have gone either way and then I, some short game got me going under par. And then I just like that flag stick on eight was back. Right. You know, yep. I love that flag stick. Cause everybody thinks you should hit it up the left side of the fairway and try to play up that fat part of the green. But it's, uh, it's the hardest way to get close to that hole going that direction. If you hit it on the far right side of the fairway when the flag stick is back, right. And you hit it over the right edge of the green, you have a backstop that you're hitting into. And if you miss the green, right. You're actually in a much better spot than any other place yeah. to that back flag stick. Yeah. And I and I did it all right. And then I like I I played, I just hit too much club. Like I didn't factor in how much space I had from the flag stick to to that bunker. And I hit it over the green and I bogeyed that hole. And I was just so pissed because I was one under. I was like, I am just I was licking my chops at making birdie on eight and getting to two. And so I that was kind of frustrating, but I let it go pretty quickly and then made a few pars. And then I think I birdied 12 to get back under par. And so then it was like, okay, I'm ready to roll. And then I hit it to like three feet on 14. And I made a, a little longer putt on 15 for birdie. And then I birdied 18 as well. But yeah. Yeah. I remember just feeling comfortable and I think I was playing with Kevin Flynn. He's a fun, he's fun always to play with. And, yeah, it was a good solid day. I, I mean, being at the Oaks, I wasn't like necessarily extra excited or less because 
you never know how you're going to play at your home course or it's tournament golf is always different than regular golf. So like your home course or another course, it's yeah. like you still got to show up with your tournament game that day. Right. And yeah, I, I probably some of the tee shots being comfortable and with helped and really settled in, but uh, yeah, it was, it was just a good solid round and felt, felt good that I was able to do it there. It felt good to like defend our home course and yeah, not have somebody else come be the low round there. Yeah. Well, I was uh, in looking at the scores, you know, after I remember after that day, um, seeing how you played and also noting that not, not many, not many people played the Oaks too, too well. Um, yeah. It's so tough. Yeah. I mean, especially when the greens are fast, people struggle to play it there. And yeah. so it feels good to play it really well, especially like that, knowing that I was Tyler river shot one under there and that was a great round. And I was not expecting anybody else to be under par. Right. So you, you have historically. So heading into day three, which is at Wentworth by the sea, you have the lead and you, you main, you played well and you maintain the lead, I believe all the way in, up until the 18th. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so how are you, when you get to the 18th hole, which is a, a short par four at, at Wentworth, how are you feeling on the tee box when you begin the 18th hole and then just walk us through what happened on the 18th? Yes. So going back a little bit, like early in the round, I was just like, I wasn't hitting great tee shots. And um, then like, uh, what is it? 11 is a par five. I hit a tee ball left and I really needed to be hitting cuts. And so then the next, then there's the par three. And then the next par five is like, all right, it's time to step up and start like really aggressively hitting cuts. And I started doing that and I hit a great tee ball on that one. I had a great tee ball off that short par five, uh, 16 and had like eight iron in and made birdie. And so, and then I hit a four iron short left, which is really where I was trying to be of that par three and got up and down. So I was feeling pretty good. And then I like, I knew I was hitting three wood off of 18 to stay short of the, the, the pond. And that way I could hit it more directly at the pond. And I hit a great tee ball down there and, I was feeling pretty good and going some, going well. And I saw people were kind of, uh, there was a pretty steady wind into our face on 18 for that second shot. And to be honest, I, de- I don't actually know that 18th green very well. I don't think I ever played to a flag stick on that back portion of the green. And I didn't really know what it looked like, which was part of the, the mistake. So I ended up hitting a little pitching wedge. I had 115 or 16 and I tried to play a 125 shot with a pitching wedge and I hit it all over the stick. It just like the wind didn't touch it. It flew through the wind and it one hopped into that back bunker. And then it, it was a fried egg in there. And you know, like everything slopes back at the water. And uh, so I really, I was confident. I went in and I hit the shot I wanted to hit and I hit a good shot and um, just got a unlucky bounce. But then really it was a bad, I ended up making just a bad decision there. I really shouldn't have been trying to hit it on the green at all from there. I wasn't, it was like, I wasn't really mentally, I think mentally at that point, I thought I was going to win the golf tournament in reg, in regulation. And it was like, I wasn't willing to let go of that idea that I, and just accept that I was going to be playing for a playoff at that point. And I didn't let it go. And I tried to hit it onto a portion of the green and it just had no chance. Like, 
there was no way I was going to hit it on the green and stop it. And I needed to be just playing out to the rough and trying to get up and down and get into the playoff. But I'd been like in control all day. It was like hard for me to let go and recognize in that moment that I was no longer in control and I had to play just to get into the playoff. So there's a lot of mental things I've learned from it. Just knowing like you need to slow down in spots like that. And I just played too fast and didn't take my time to really think through the process where I was. Yeah. But, you know, those are those are great moments because you have to play well to get to those moments. There's a lot of different ways people look at it. People, especially like television golf, we watch so much television golf and they're always want to dramatize everything. Right. So you could, and then people watching from the sidelines want to dramatize it or think about people who aren't, who haven't experienced those moments want to dramatize them and, and make them out to be like these awful things that happened and, Really, it's like you don't get to those you don't get to those moments or you don't have the ability to have those big failures if you haven't done something good to get there. Right. And so I played a lot of good, solid golf. I did a lot of good things to get to that spot. And I made some mental errors at that time. I had a bad break in terms of the bounce I got, the wind not hitting it like I thought it would on that second shot. And. So now I just take from those things and keep working on the good things and be prepared. The next time when I'm in a situation like that, I'll mentally be have something to draw on to be like, okay, this is time to slow down. Let's think through this a little bit longer. Yep. Well, that sounds like a great perspective and good lessons learned out of that experience. Let's move on to some of the USGA events. You've um, you've played in the USGA Mid-Am a few times. Um I believe in 21 was your best run where you were second or T2 coming out of stroke play into match play. Tell me what you remember. I mean, you must have been just playing so good at that point as you were heading into match play. What do you remember about that tournament? Yeah, there's like what I was saying about Baker Hill, things I recall about playing well there. And one of the things I was doing so well is – I was really confidently stepping up on the tee and I knew how I was going to hit my tee ball. I knew I was going to aim down the left edge of the fairway and I was going to hit a cut and I was playing aggressive cuts off the tee down in Sankety head out on Nantucket Island where the mid-am was that year. Um, and I was just hitting the, my tee ball. Great. I was in play all the time. I wasn't. So it just makes a huge difference. Just confidence wise. Like there was just so much less stress for me mentally. Cause I really believed in my driver and I was playing with confidence off the tee. And there was just no, no timidness in the game at that point with tee balls, which is something I work on mentally and sometimes go back and forth. So that was one of the biggest things for success. And uh, I mean, I putted well in stroke play which I didn't do in my first round of match play. And then I ended up putting, like I putted timidly in match play and putted horrifically. Like people who know how who've played with me and have seen me putt would just be in shock the way I putted in that match play. Like I missed multiple short putts. I had multiple three putts and kind of just gave up too much of the match away early. I played strong late and made a little run back, but it was just, I was five down after nine and lost three and two. But yeah, I mean, that was, it was a fun week and I I putted really well. I had a stretch of four birdies in a row on the second day where I had like 10 to 15 feet foot birdie putts and just made them all. And then last year you qualify and get in to the mid-am, which was held out at 
Aaron Hills and another course near Aaron Hills. Um, I got to visit Aaron Hills last May for the first time and was just blown away. What do you, what did you think about Aaron Hills and tell me about the experience at that mid am last year? Yeah. Aaron Hills is a cool place to be. It was, uh, I remember the first day we got there and we just went there to practice a little bit on a Wednesday first day. It's the first day of the week for the U S mid am. You can get there on Wednesday and register and the courses are open for practicing. You can't play, but you can practice and they have lunch available for you. So we got out there and just, we had traveled all morning and got there and you know, that back porch that looks out over the whole golf course. And like, basically that that's where we sat down and had lunch after a long travel day. So that was pretty nice. Me and my dad were out there and Okay. Then I went and practiced a little and he uh, walked the golf course all by himself. There's like nobody on the golf course. Right. So he had a nice walk around Aaron Hills. You know, that place is tons of hills. It is it is exactly what it's named for. And it's big, massive hills. So, yeah, it's kind of cool, like holes that are, are long. Like if you get the tee ball to land in the right spot, you can catch an extra 30 yards of roll and it doesn't play quite as long. Or it can happen the opposite way. I had one hole where like I almost got to a top of a hill and then I would have had like inside like 190 or something and it rolled back a hill and I had like 225. Right. Um, but yeah, it's a spectacular place. It's a it's a cool golf course in the United States. Yeah, it is a special place for sure. Um, let's talk about your game. You've mentioned some of this, but you know, what are, what is you self-assess your game what do you, what are the strengths of your game and what, um, what are you working on and, and feel free to cover both the actual, you know, shots and clubs in, in addition to the mental part of the game? Most people would probably consider me a fairly accurate driver of the golf ball. I consider myself needing to improve, but typically my driving of the golf ball, a lot of it has to do with mentality and where I'm at mentally, like, am I confidently stepping up and hitting that shape of a shot that I'm looking for? And so that's one of the things I'm really looking forward to working on going into this season is making hitting confident cuts off the tee. Like when I'm playing my best golf, I'm usually hitting a cut. Um, So I'm going to be working on that a lot in the spring and making sure I have that one tee ball shot that I really believe in. And I know is going to move left to right. Um, Putting, everybody will, everybody will say I'm a good putter that I've played golf with. It certainly is something I do well. Uh, I know what I'm looking for. I have my routines of practice that I really focus on. I spend a lot of time putting three-footers. I'll putt three-footers probably more than I'll hit any other practice putt. Wow. When I was in college, I would do 100 three-footers in a row before I left the practice screen. Now I don't have quite that much time, so... I'll like sometimes it'll be just I want to just hit 53 foot putts or um, so I put five I put five tees in a circle around a hole and uh, I'll make myself and I'll make myself putt until I get to like the goal I want to get to. So you're trying to like put on that level of pressure on the three footers, too. And it's a it's a huge deal because like I don't believe I'm ever going to miss a three footer. And if you make every single three footer, you've definitely saved a couple strokes along the way. Yep. And it just, you have less fear on your long putts too, because you believe in those three, four foot putts, you're going to make them every time. Right. Um, short game. I spent a lot of time on short game. I believe I'm, I believe I'm good at chipping and pitching around the green. 
Um, and I think it's one of the most important aspects of the game. Like, I, and I think it translates. I think the, I think if you spend more time chipping and putting your, your mid iron game, your long iron game will come together with the rest of it. But ultimately you're, if you get your long iron game and mid iron game in good shape, like it's not really going to save you many strokes if you don't, if you can't chip and putt, right. it's just not going to do much for you. Right. I mean, if you're, if you're a great iron player, you're going to get it inside 30 feet, but you're not going to make that many birdies from 25 feet anyways. Right. <laughs> True. But yeah. I put a lot of focus on my short game. If I have practice time, I practice chipping and putting at the Oaks. I'll go up there and practice chipping and putting for two to three hours and, yeah, that's, that's where I've seen you. So let's get into the Oaks here a little bit. Um, so you, when you settle in the seacoast, um, why did you ultimately choose the Oaks to be your home course over other courses in the seacoast? I'll, I'll never forget the first day I pulled into the Oaks because I had been playing at Rockingham all summer. So that's that summer of 2016, twice a week. And then I saw that there's this place, the Oaks in Summersworth, and I was living in Dover. I was like, all right, I'll go check this place out. It looked pretty nice on the website. I remember pulling in and seeing the practice facility and just being like in shock. I was like, what is this place in the middle of Summersworth? Like I just didn't, the practice facility there is as good as it gets around here, other than like golf club of new England, which you can't compete with. It's like for a public course, like across the state of, New Hampshire, there's not anything really better than it. Right. And the amount of space you have for practice putting, having a separate chipping facility with fairway, like 30 yards of fairway leading up to it and a bunker. I mean, I was just in heaven when I saw that practice facility for short game. And then the pr the prices there were so fair. Like I was playing Twilight. I was going out and playing Twilight for like $22 a round. And the golf course is as good or anything you're going to play in the state pretty much other than yeah. a, maybe three, four or five courses yeah. that are private and have much bigger budgets. Like you're just not going to, you're not going to get a better test of golf in the state either, except for maybe Baker Hill and golf club. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. And and I don't say this in a, and I, I like the Oaks a lot. I also find the Oaks. I agree with everything you've said. I also would maybe use the words for a lot of golfers, myself included, the Oaks is challenging. It's, it's, it's different. It's a difficult course. And yeah. if, you, if you're not, if you don't have your strong game or a mid handicappers off a little yeah. bit, like the Oaks can, the Oaks is going to win. And I'm curious, yeah. you know, you've played a lot of rounds now at the Oaks. What do you think makes the Oaks a challenging, good test of golf? There's a lot of strategy at the Oaks, and I think that's one reason a lot of people don't play it well. They, you have to you have to play patient and smart golf. Like especially if you are a mid to high handicapper, there's a lot of holes where you you can't play to flag sticks. You have to play to spots very far away, and then work your way over to the hole, unless you can hit crisp wedge and sh short irons that can spin. You can't play the golf course in that in the way you could go play uh, like, I don't know, Rockingham or Cochico or Sagamore where you have, you have lead ups to the greens on a lot of spaces. Like for a place with firm greens, it doesn't have a lot of lead ups. And so now strategy, like I was saying, okay, let's say number 10 
for instance, there's multiple holes like this there, but number 10, your best angle into that green is from the, and your shortest distance into that green is from the far left side of the fairway. But you have to be willing to challenge the most penalizing part of that hole to get to that spot. Right. So it's that way on multiple holes where you'll see that happen to you. A lot of the short par fours, you have to do that. You have to challenge the more penalizing spots to get the right angle, to have any chance at making birdies. Yeah. Um, Let's so I want to dig into hole four with you. So hole four is ranked as yeah. the hardest hole. Of the yeah. course. I want to get back to, I, I also predominantly play a cut with a driver. Um, walk me through your line off the tee with driver and then talk to me about what you're trying to do on your second shot. Yeah, typically I'm aiming uh, either just into the left trees or on the left fairway tree line. And I'm trying to hit a cut up and just let it peel off of that. There's times where I'll aim down the middle though, and just try to hit a straight ball. But yeah, more often than not, I'm looking at that left tree line and I'm letting it peel off of that because worst comes the worst. I, I hit it in those trees and either sometimes you have to punch just straight out. Sometimes I can get it up on top of the hill and still have a chance to get to the green. Um, but I'm never going to take a penalty stroke out of there right. typically. And uh, so, yeah, the second shot, it's, it's very like if I get down far enough, I'll try to hit a three wood up into that next short of the green. If I'm really feeling good with with my cut and I'm hitting a good confident cut, I'll hit a three wood off that left side and cut it up the, the way the fairway leads like that. Yep. But more often than not, and probably competitively, I'm I'm trying to hit that cut off the left edge of the fairway off the tee, and then I'm just trying to get it down to 100 yards. Yep. I'm playing up the left side. It kind of kicks down to the right. So it's usually like five iron, four iron hybrid, depending. You know, the wind and weather can really alter that holes. Yeah. I mean, there's times probably where I've hit driver three wood just to get to the 100 also. Right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> How many club championships have you won now at the Oaks? Uh, gosh, I guess the first one I would have played would have been 2017. So I would have won 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21. And then I didn't play last year because it was the New England Am got moved up a day. So it was so squeezed in between. It's squeezed in the weekend between State Am and New England Am. Oh, okay. But I've played Candia, this our sister course. I go over and play their club championship too. So I think I've won that the last three years now. So if you count Candia, that's eight. Yeah. Have uh, at least for the Oaks, uh, have any of them been close? Yeah. The I, first joke, I joke with people. You know, I've played in a couple of times, and I joke with people that there should be like like a division for you only. And then the rest of us can play for like second, like for first place, but in a different division. I think the first, well, Kevin Ferrando from the candy, I used to come over and play. Now he doesn't yeah. come over and play anymore. Uh, but some guys from the, from candy, I come over and play and they got a handful. They got a few pretty good players over there, but nobody really plays the Oaks really well. Like, yeah. They can play candy much better than they can play the Oaks. Everybody who comes from away from the Oaks struggles to play the Oaks. <laughs> I think there's a lot to learn at that place. I mean, it takes time to learn that golf course. 
and how to play it. Yep. Uh, yeah, the first year was close. I think I only won by a shot or two the first year. I think I shot like 83 in the second round. Okay. Well, you let some people in. That's nice of you. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten progressively better since I started playing again. I think the last couple of years I've been under par. I think the first year I was like probably barely broke 160, but I think I I think I shot one. I think I might have broken one broken 140. Wow. This past year, or two years ago. Wow. That's good playing at the Oaks. Yeah. Oaks, um, yeah. A couple more questions here before we wrap up. Uh, let's just talk about what, what you're currently playing in the bag, you know, driver through wedges and putter. And are you making, you know, what are you currently playing and are you making any equipment changes this year? Uh, so I have a ping, I have ping woods. What do I have? The four, I think I have the 410 driver at this point. I have the four, G425 three-wood and hybrid, a 19-degree hybrid. And I have Mizuno irons, MP20s. Uh, I have, like, the hollow-bodied four-iron. That's, like, the only change I'm making. I'm going to have my buddy, like, reshaft, change a shaft in that. I'm tinkering with it. I haven't been super happy with the four-iron, so I'm going to change it into put this, like, hybrid shaft in it and see how that feels and then uh yeah mizuno mp20 what do they call it like split cavity or something five through eight iron and then muscle back nine and pitch and wedge and titleist wedges uh and then i have a odyssey number nine putter it's the same model head putter i've used forever like since college I had the white hot and then I got this milled faced Odyssey number nine and I've used that and I've changed the grip on it. That's about it. Yeah. I don't so change what, that. Part. I love it. What, what ball do you play? The pro V one X. And how do you mark your ball? Yeah. Currently I put three dots, one underneath the number and then two on each side of the Titleist. So it kind of frames it yep. and that's, so a lot of people use that side, that line on the side of the ball, and I do not like that. I use, I use the Titleist with those two dots that I have, framing it high, and then a dot down underneath it, and that's yeah. how I line up my ball on putting greens. Do you line up your putts whether you've got a twenty-five footer or a three footer? Are you always lining up your ball for your putts? Yeah. Okay. Next section I call lightning round. These are little gimme questions. Uh, favorite course in New Hampshire? I like I like have uh, categories okay. when I when I answer favorite course in New Hampshire, or or I have a I have a few for different okay. reasons. I'm a pretty sentimental person, so Rockingham is always going to be on my list. I love that place. Like getting started playing there again, playing there at five thirty in the morning, where there's like two other guys on the course, and I made friends with some guy who's like in his eighties who would just play there and. We would hang out, and I remember having a beer with him at like eleven in the morning, ten thirty in the morning after playing one time. And that place is just fun. And um, I mean, the Oaks—I'm always going to stand up for the Oaks as one of the better courses in the state. The, it's not one of the—it's not super long. The driver gets taken out of your hand sometimes. You're forced to do that, but man, like the strategy you have to think about to play that golf course. This, the greens are just as good as you're going to see anywhere in the state, if not better than a lot of places. 
They're just a thir firm and fast third week of April. That's why the first pro-am of the year is there every year. And you're just, you're going to get prepared for playing good golf playing there. It's going to make you get better. And you're in a beautiful place, tucked yep. away. You're not playing the mix, tons of houses. It's spectacular. And then it's like, then I have like, what are the, what's the best championship golf course in the state? Like, and to me, like, I look at that as like, what's the best golf course in the state for a tournament? Yep. And I mean, there's golf club in New England is probably the only course in the state that could host a USGA event. And so it's going to stand alone, I think, on that level. Um, but Baker Hill is certainly a great test of championship golf, especially if they get their greens running fast. So I think I typically put Baker Hill and Golf Club in New England on like this separate pedestal together. Yeah, no, as, I got it. As favorite courses. Yeah. Um, what's your current favorite club in your bag? Yeah, my putter and my driver. I love them. Okay. They're they're the keys to great golf. Yeah. You have to nurture and love the things you depend on. <laughs> um, multiple choice. Um, you've got which, which of these is your favorite? Uh, a smoked driver. A flushed mid iron or draining a long 20 foot putt? Oh, yeah. The putt is always going to win. It's all the putt wins a hole. It demoralizes people in match <laughs> play. It keeps momentum going on stroke play. It just a drive and an iron shot is never going to lift you and carry you on or, or beat somebody, but a putt will, a putt can do all those things. Yeah. Good point. Um, any current favorite PGA or LPGA player that you like a lot? Gosh, my kids always ask me who I'm cheering, who I'm cheering for, or rooting for on PGA tour events. And I'm just like, I'm, cheer I'm cheering for any, I'm cheering for everybody. Or I say, I say, I'm cheering for most of them to play good golf. There's a few guys I don't cheer for, but I don't cheer against anybody. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't really end up picking favorites on and who I like on the PGA Tour. Thinking about women's golf, my kids and I went down to the Curtis Cup at Marion last year. Okay. And uh, so we have like an affinity for some of those girls who are going to be going on tour, those young women in the upcoming years, like uh, Rose Zhang we saw there. And then this young woman, Rachel Heck, she was walking around putting glitter on people's faces. And my kids always want to know where Rachel Heck is if we're watching amateur oh, cool. stuff on tv but we'll be watching for those young ladies in the yeah. coming years last question here in the gimme round is there a course on your bucket list that you've not yet played that you really would like to play i'm a i'm a tournament golfer like at heart like i would rather play a tournament on some golf course that most people would never want to play than go to like everybody's bucket list golf course, Pebble Beach or St. Andrews just to play like a, a regular round. Although I would, I would make a point. I would like to play St. Andrews. That would be cool. That would be on the list, I okay. guess, of spaces. But I would, I love to go anywhere that there's a golf tournament. <laughs> my, my bucket, my bucket list is to make it into bigger and better, bigger tournaments. Yeah. Well, let's, we're going to wrap up here. And one of the questions oh. is about goals. What do you what are your golf goals for the 2023 season? Yeah, so I was just talking about that yesterday with my buddy Scott Hacker. And um 
When I make out my goals, they're not necessarily golf result oriented. One of the main goals we put down is just enjoying the challenge of every shot this year, no matter where you're at in a tournament, just like enjoy that you get to be out there and you get to try to pull off this shot, whether it's the putt or whether it's hitting a cut into the fairway or the iron shot and just enjoying the game for that. And, uh, and then just enjoying the people you get to interact with out on the golf course and making a point to interact with them and be personable and, and sharing the day with the people. And, um, so my goals are typically related to those things somewhat in that those are the things I think are more important. And also, I think those things also help you to relax and, when you're relaxing, you're enjoying yourself and enjoy, in, in a positive mindset, you're more likely to play better golf too. And so I think those things help to take care of the other goals that and desires of having high finishes and winning golf tournaments that I would like to do. Because ultimately you talk about if you want to, if we get to results, then yeah, I would like to, every time I sign up for a USGA qualifier, I'd like to qualify. <coughs> For the U.S. four ball with my buddy John DeVito, I'd like to qualify to get back to the U.S. Mid-Am and go back there and get into match play again and win some matches and make a run there and like to make a run in the stadium and play hard in match plays there and win matches and get myself in position to win there and to win to win the state Mid-Am. Like every tournament you want to sign up, I, I want to be in position to have a chance. Yeah. And, and and those mentalities and of how you approach the game and try to find the joy in every moment of the day lead to those things, lead to better golf for me. So uh, practice-wise, my goals, I have, a, I have an intention this year of really striving for better quality practice. I think I'm even going to make a point, like, if I'm going to the driving range, I'm going to get a smaller bucket of balls than maybe I would have typically and I, to make that intention where – I'm really going to give a full thought to every shot and make it so that it's not about hitting that shot just right. It's about feeling that shot in every moment, every, every part of it from setup to the swing to if I don't hit it good, what can I learn from each shot? And I want to carry that into my rounds at the Oaks when I'm playing with friends there. Like how can I learn from every shot I'm hitting to get better? So really striving to be more patient with my game and my progress throughout the year. Yeah, that's great. Well, last question I'm asking everyone on the podcast. Uh, as you mentioned, your dad got you out to the range when you were super young. Golf's been a huge part of your life for almost all your life. What is it about this game that draws you to it? And why do you love the game so much? Yeah, I, th- I think I really love the challenge of it. I love the challenge of trying to get better at it. I love that you get to be outdoors while doing it. Yeah. Like you get to go to, when you play good golf, you get to go to special pieces of property like Aaron Hills or Sankety head and and play golf in these beautiful spaces. And those things also take me to have like, like my dad caddied for me at these mid-ams and he, I'll never forget what he said after the U S mid-am when we were in Charlotte, he said that, that counts as one of his best golf memories and he wasn't even playing golf. So you get to have these positive experiences with people. You know, I've met so many people. I have so many friends in New Hampshire because of the golf 
my buddy Scott Hacker, like him and I talk about golf so much. We talk about the mental side of golf a lot. And I think that's one of the biggest things I love about golf, just the analytical side of it that you can dig into mentally. And we find so many crossovers in how you handle yourself on the golf course, how you process adversity, how you deal with your successes that can carry over to just how you deal with your daily life. If, if you are willing to take the time and look at how they cross over, there's so many mental things that you would practice for golf that you can then put into practice in your life too, to make your life more enjoyable, to be more mindful of things you're, you're doing and conscious of your emotions and your ups and downs. And you do those things in golf, you'll be better at golf and you can translate those over to your daily life. What for, for me specifically, it's like parenting and family life. And I've definitely learned a lot in the last few years talking with my buddy Scott and working on those mental things. And I love that. I love that I'm growing in multiple places because of golf. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a great piece of advice and wonderful reflection and a good piece to end on. Well, thank you, Harvin. I really enjoyed this. It was great talking with you. I appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck this season. And I look forward to playing with you out at the Oaks this year. Yeah, we'll do it. Thanks, Mike. I, I appreciate you doing this podcast. It's cool to, to see this out there and see the people around New Hampshire getting to tell their stories and having a place where people can learn about each other and learn well, about their golf in the state. Well, it's been a lot of fun and um, it's great to, you, you've got a great story and happy to have a platform to help share those stories. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been a fun project. Um, keep, up, keep, up, keep up the good work and hopefully I'll uh, earn the right to get back here with some more golf success. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Granite State Golfers is produced by Dew Sweeper Productions. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and leave a review. For those of us in winter climates, the season will be here before we know it. Until then, be well and LGLG. LG.